This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into the recent announcement by the Department of Justice's National Security Division regarding its cooperation policy for sanctions violations. This is, of course, separate and apart than the Criminal Division's FCPA enforcement policy that was announced in uh, November 2017. This uh, penalty, or rather this cooperation, is around trade sanctions and export controls. And they list uh, multiple factors for obtaining a a NPA. There's no declination available, but the presumption will be an NPA. Matt and I take a deep dive into this, discuss how it differs from the uh, FCPA corporate enforcement policy, and most interestingly, how it differs from the OFAC compliance framework, which was announced earlier this year. We also consider the aggregating factors that can lead to a company not not obtaining an MPA. It's a fascinating exploration for an area that compliance officers don't often think about. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly. Matt, uh, first of all, welcome. Hello, Tom. So, Matt, you wrote a uh, blog post posted, I believe, yesterday entitled Cooperation Policy for Sanctions Violations. And it appears we have yet another Department of Justice outreach to the uh, corporate community around uh, asking for cooperation. You want to tell us a little bit about this? Well, yeah, sure. So I was intrigued by this. Um, This was a policy pronouncement that came out from David Burns, who is the Deputy Assistant Attorney General for the National Security Division of the Justice Department, Uh, And he was giving a speech in Washington, I guess, last week, where he outlined this cooperation credit policy. So the headline will probably sound very familiar to a lot of compliance officers, that um, if you have export control issues or sanctions issues and you are looking to get into the department's good graces, um, they do have a new cooperation credit policy where you must, stop me if you've heard this before, You must voluntarily self-report your misconduct. Uh, You must agree to cooperate with any investigation the DOJ might do. And you must remediate um, any weaknesses and have an effective compliance program at the time of the resolution to your matter. And if you do those things, then you can get various sorts of um, discounts uh, or more lenient penalties than otherwise. So the headline of this will sound very familiar to FCPA compliance people, 
because those are the same three prongs that you must meet for the FCPA corporate enforcement policy from 2017 and generally the policies that we're seeing the Justice Department play out um, for all sorts of corporate misconduct issues. However, once we start peeling back behind the headline or underneath that headline, there are, I think there are a couple of key distinctions here that show that um, to take full advantage of this cooperation program, if you have a sanctions issue, if you have an export control issue, uh, there are some big differences from FCPA world, and that's the part that I spent my time on in the blog post is, you know, we need to get our heads around what this means for compliance officers if you want to take advantage of this new program for these new issues. So, Matt, could we first maybe uh, talk about the aggravating factors which can lead to uh, overcoming the presumption of a non-prosecution agreement? Yeah, so that is where I zoomed in right away. And again, for the FCPA crowd, uh, you might be thinking, okay, aggravating factors, if you have those in your case, maybe you won't be eligible for cooperation credit. Again, we've heard that before in the FCPA world, and we've seen some examples where there were aggravating factors. And so um, the Justice Department was not as nice. But the aggravating factors for sanctions issues are more than and different from the aggravating factors we've seen in the FCPA policy. So some of them are similar. Um, aggravating factors such as upper management involved in misconduct, repeated violations over and over. And even I would say one of the aggravating factors for sanctions is exporting to a foreign terrorist organization or um, some other specially designated national like that, which I would say, is roughly similar to bribing a known high-risk third party. But upper management's involvement, repeated misconduct, working with customers or targets when you should have known better, those are essentially the same kind of aggravating factors we've seen in the FCPA, and now we see them here with export sanctions. But here are the other ones that caught my eye. Um, export of items controlled for nuclear nonproliferation or missile technology, um, export of military items to a hostile power, um, export of items known in the known to be used for weapons of mass destruction. So, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't see something like that in FCPA world where, for example, um, if I were bribing my way to sell computer parts, that might be a more serious misconduct than the exact same thing to sell sugar. That was the example I use. Like the actual good that you are using or service you're trying to sell in an FCPA bribery issue is not really relevant. But it is relevant here in exports and uh, sanctions issues is what's the good you're actually exporting or trying to sell. And if you're trying to sell something that is very sensitive, you could be in a lot of trouble. That could be an aggravating factor no matter what. So I did think that was a very interesting distinction between what we're accustomed to in FCPA land and the aggravating factor here in sanctions land. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but that jumped out to me. Yeah. So before we kind of dive into the meat of uh, what is an effective compliance program, I wanted to maybe reflect on this point a little bit, Matt, because it struck me that we may be asking, or at least the Department of Justice National Security Division may be asking compliance professionals 
the anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance professionals to take on some additional tasks. Uh, typically in a corporation, there'll be a, a trade sanctions or trade export control uh, person or group uh, who would look at this. But now I think a compliance, a um, anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance professional or a CCO really needs to start thinking about uh, all, all of these aggravating factors in a way they perhaps had not thought through before. They certainly understood from the trade sanctions perspective these could um, uh, be violations. But now you've got to think about it in terms of not only is it a violation, but is it going to uh, lead to a potential additional criminal sanction that uh, could hurt us in other ways? You know, that's possible. And I would say more that clearly the Justice Department wants the company to care about these issues. Now, is that the anti-corruption compliance team? Is it a specialized uh, export control team or something like the Justice Department is basically going to say, we don't care who does it so long as it gets done and your structure to it is sensible and, and you know, makes good sense and it works. Um, but compliance officers who are thinking about how do we build a broader sort of enterprise risk management or enterprise-wide compliance program that might have anti-corruption and sanctions and who knows what else of your regulatory risks bubbling around. You're going to have to deal with them somehow, but um, dealing with this particular type of risk is substantively different than or more than dealing with anti-corruption risk. Um, So you wouldn't have to think about, you know, okay, well, what are we selling and where are we selling it to and who are we selling it to? Because those things do matter more in sanctions than they do in anti-corruption where it's just, did you bribe or did you not bribe? Um, so, and then, you know, we'll have that, all of that has ramifications for, as you said, what an effective compliance program actually is. Um, and we can get into that, but yeah, this I thought was one big detail that's different and new is this discussion of the aggravating factors for this cooperation policy. Matt, one of the things I found interesting was the specific issue of self-disclosure and that the Department of Justice made clear and indeed um, Deputy Assistant Attorney General Burns made clear that you had to self-disclose to the Department of Justice to receive this potential cooperation credit, a self-disclosure to OFAC, or BIS or other regulators was insufficient. And I suppose if we looked at the FCPA, both the DOJ and SEC would say you should self-disclose to us both. But it seemed to me this was a different quality of instruction um, because most trade sanctions experts are going to deal certainly with BIS on a regular basis and perhaps OFAC as well jumped out at me too. And I, I had to admit, I did not know for a fact under the FCPA policy, did they have some similar sort of declara- declaration there that you must disclose to the fraud section of the Justice Department or not? I didn't think so. Um, but in the National Security Division, uh, yes, you know, if you are looking to claim some cooperation credit from the Justice Department, you have to disclose to them. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that if everything goes well for you, and you do disclose and you get all the cooperation credit, what you get is a presumption that you will have a non-prosecution agreement, which is not the same as a declination to prosecute, which is what you would get in the FCPA enforcement policy. Uh, And why is there a difference? Well, uh, Deputy Assistant A.G. Burns flat out said, 
Um, we think that uh, because of the national security threat posed by export control violations, an NPA is uh, more appropriate. He's basically saying that he thinks this is serious stuff, so you get a more serious punishment or non-punishment or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, they, they're taking a tougher line than the fraud section does with FCPA. So um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's also true that you would still also not get a monitor and an NPA. Um, makes me wonder then if you have an NPA and then somehow you tr- violate it in the future anyways, does that automatically revoke everything and you're looking at a prosecution and what happens? I don't know, but it's a whole set of problems that do not exist in the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, but do exist here in the sanctions enforcement policy. So there's, like I said, there are multiple differences here once you get past the headline. What is an effective compliance program? If I could preface it a little bit with, I believe in June, OFAC announced a compliance framework, which both you and I wrote about. We both commented upon. We've talked about it from the trade sanctions perspective, but more importantly, from the ABC compliance professional perspective and how its focus on trade sanctions could perhaps uh, uh, give some ideas to an ABC compliance professional. But here we have uh, the Department of Justice uh, specifically saying that you had to have an effective compliance program, but with a focus that looks to be different than OFAC. Have I incorrectly assessed that, or do you see things going in a different direction? Well, I, I wouldn't even say one direction or another. I'd say that we have a multi-layered um, demands from the regulators. So, yes, you must have an effective compliance program at the time of resolution if you want all of this to work in your favor. Okay, again, not news, um, but... The Justice Department has one vision of what an effective compliance program is, and the, this particular uh, new policy from the National Security Division, this spells out, I think, eight different elements. They're all the same elements of effective compliance that we've seen before. They're very clearly in step with the Justice Department's guidance from April of this year about an effective compliance program, and all of that is great, except, like you said, OFAC has its own guidance for an effective compliance program that is much more exacting and uh, detailed and specific than the Justice Department's. So I'm guessing that you must have an effective compliance program for both organizations. Um, It doesn't specifically say that in the DOJ's policy here. It does say, however, that the DOJ's National Security Division will coordinate with the appropriate regulatory agency in assessing a corporation's remediation efforts and compliance program. Well, what does that mean? And I don't know. And neither does anybody else listening right now because we haven't seen any example of this. But whereas with the FCPA, we had that guidance from 2012 that was co-published by the Justice Department and SEC all at once. It's one piece of guidance that is applicable to both agencies, and we get it. Here, we have two different agencies with two different types of guidance, one of which is really more extensive than the other, and um, I guess you're going to have to be satisfying both of them. Or let let me put it in the negative way. I am hard-pressed to see how you could have an effective compliance program through this policy with the Justice Department, And OFAC at the same time says, no, we don't like what you're doing. 
if you are at odds with those two agencies, I don't see the Justice Department then going easy on you. Um, I look forward to the fact pattern. That proves me wrong. But right now we have no fact patterns. We have no cases. And so this is just a um, much more complex sort of landscape to navigate to get uh, to the mythical effective compliance program. I, I have no idea what this looks like in practice. Matt, one of the questions uh, that pops up from time to time on the border here in Texas is for most particularly for logistics companies, but really for any entity or industry that has to ship goods through northern Mexico is what do you do when you receive an extortion payment from one of the cartels? Um, do you pay to get your goods through? Is that illegal? Is that if the cartel's the effective government, does that somehow transmorgify it into a uh, FCPA violation? But here, this could seem to me that if the president or the, at least the administration move forward with their uh, um, threats to name the cartels as terrorist organizations or especially designate them as a global terrorist uh, can open up an entirely different can of worms for the uh, ABC compliance practitioner. Yeah, it's it's going to open a can of worms for somebody. I don't know who, and um, I don't have a good answer to that. I think it's an excellent question, um, but it does, I think, also suggest there's a certain melding of compliance risk and challenge here that, you know, this isn't about is this a sanctions compliance issue or is it an anti-corruption compliance issue? This is more a broader enterprise compliance challenge, whether you want to call it one thing or the other thing, the C-suite, the board, um, the Justice Department isn't going to get, I think, too involved in the nitty-gritty of all of this. They're going to look for that you have some sort of capability to govern these compliance issues generally, whether you um, split it out, which, by the way, is what OFAC recommends in its guidance, or whether you have some sort of consolidated, universal, enterprise-wide compliance program, like I don't know. And as always, like I just said, I look forward to the fact pattern that gives us um, some illumination as to how the government expects us to solve these challenges. But the point that you raise about the cartels, I think that's a very good, very difficult question. Matt, although we both love going into the weeds and indeed have named our podcast uh, Into the Weeds, perhaps we could step back a moment and, and reflect upon what we've seen from now three divisions in the Department of Justice and OFAC around uh, cooperation, uh, compliance programs, and really a, perhaps a different focus for the relationship they have with corporations. It, it really seems, at least from the Departments of Justice's perspective, they are attempting to engender greater cooperation by spelling out the incentives a company would have to step forward and voluntarily self-disclosed violations. As, is that a consistent pattern you're seeing, or are you seeing something different? No, I think that's true. I think it's in step with what uh, the original Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein said when he was still in office at the beginning of the Trump administration, um, that you know he wanted to use more of a carrot and reward approach for good compliance as opposed to a stick and beating companies for bad compliance. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I'm sure a lot of companies would prefer a more rewards and carrot as opposed to stick and punishment. Um, but we had seen that first with the FCPA. We've seen something very similar with the antitrust division's approach to trying to encourage more compliance. Now we're seeing it here with sanctions issues. Um, it is most interesting to me, though, that um, when FCPA 
Justice Department and, F- and the SEC have really been joined at the hip in enforcement of that and their policy around it for years. Um, with antitrust, uh, generally, it is going to be the Justice Department that is doing its thing. I know the Federal Trade Commission also has some antitrust. Um, but I'm curious how more we'll see the Justice Department working with other regulators and how they're going to square this. Um, I don't know how Antitrust Division and the Federal Trade Commission will handle their issues. I have really am curious to see how the National Security Division here will work with OFAC and BIS around their issues, because OFAC clearly has got some very different ideas about what an effective compliance program does and how it looks. Um, so that uh, that dance that different divisions of the Justice Department will do with civil side regulators to make sure that they're all on the same page and they are all on the same page about what an effective compliance program is able to do. I'll be very curious to see how that works and it's probably something for 2020 and beyond. Um, And of course, depending on who is in charge in 2021, if we have a democratic administration, I'm very curious to see how any of this all continues or works. And, you know, we have to start thinking that, there's at least a 50-50 chance we might go in some very different directions 12 months from now. Who knows? It's a, uh, a fascinating uh, topic and really with a paucity of information around this specific policy, it really either leads to rampant speculation or perhaps lots of different questions to ask. Uh, very true. Well, Matt, I look forward to uh, seeing what the administration gives us uh, for commentary next time. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We link to Matt's blog post entitled Cooperation for Sanctions Violations in the show notes, so check it out. It also links back to the original speech announcing the new uh, DOJ policy around trade sanctions and cooperation. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and give us some idea of what you're thinking out there. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic of interest into the weeds in compliance. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.